today is Q&A Sunday, Q&R actually, um, and we say Q&R instead of Q&A because I'm going to make a resp- I'm going to have a response, and I don't know if it'll be a good one, and I don't know uh, how much, like, I am sure of it, meaning this, when we jump into the depths of the knowledge and the wisdom of God, there are things that the Bible says that are very clear, and there's an answer to them, and there are some things where it's not as clear, and I am growing in my knowledge of the Bible every day, and I hope to continue to do that until I die. And so there's some things that I'm still wrestling with, so if you ask a question of something I'm wrestling with, I'll give you a response or maybe some options, um, but that is what we're going to do. But not yet, because first there's a sermon, and uh, I've got to give that to you. So what we're going to have, though, is this mic is going to turn the other way. Now here's what happens every time. We do this Q&R. And every time, you guys are so scared to go up to the mic, and afterwards, you come and ask me all these questions. And I say, why didn't you ask me that? And I say, oh, I was just too scared. I couldn't do it. So you could text me if you want, if you have my number. If you don't, come get it afterwards, and I'll give you my number. You can text me the next time. Um, so, so that's the deal. Q&R Sunday. After this, right, we're going to do it right after the sermon this week. So we're in week three of our new series called Words from the Mountain. And here's what we're looking at, where Jesus, the cosmic, glorious teacher, comes upon the mountain, goes up to the top of mountain to give us words that are from another world. And these words are about the world where he has come from, and they are words about how we might live so we might see his world come through us as the way we live and as we cling to him. And something that I'm finding more and more around the culture, like we want to be a place where people are wrestling with their faith and doubt and where skeptics and Christians can have authentic community together. And as we're doing this, and as I'm just with all my might seeking to be a place for Port St. Lucie where skeptical people can come, something that I'm finding is that the culture around us is becoming increasingly anti-God and anti-church, but not so much anti-Jesus. And here's what's happening. Jesus makes all these claims about himself, but I'm not sure that people are actually hearing what he's saying because they're making Jesus out to be this amazingly wise teacher, which is true about him. However, he's so much more than just that. And here's what ends up happening. If you just make him out to be a wise teacher, there's two problems that you have. The first problem that you have is you got to deal with the things that he says about himself. So he makes him out to himself out to be the son of God. So if he's a wise teacher and a great teacher, but he's not actually the son of God, then he can't be a good teacher anymore because he's a liar. The second problem that you have is when you actually really listen to the words that he tells us about how to live, you, coming, you come to the shocking realization that there's no way that you can live the way he's calling you to live. Like, it is beyond your ability to live this way. And that's why he has to be a rescuer and a healer that we go to that changes us, that heals us from the inside out so that we can start living the way that the words are actually telling us to live. Otherwise, we're just, he's just going to crush us underneath the weight of the way he's calling us to live. So... Think about it like this. So think of Jesus like this. There's three types of people. So the first type of person, 
They walk into a room and they have such a presence about them that people look at them, they see them, and their presence is felt in that room. It's as if they walk into that room and the culture shifts in that room to them because there's such a presence about them. People say this about famous people. They say this about powerful people that this happens to. Some some of you guys are like, yeah, that's me. Um, Maybe so. Now, here's the second type of person. The second type of person walks into a room and they just fit right in. And they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be noticed. Whatever the culture of that room is, they just mold right into it. And they shift to that culture. But there's a third type of person. And they walk into this room and they go unnoticed on purpose because they have a mission. This is like what Jesus is. This person walks into the room unnoticed, unseen, but then starts taking the temperature of the people in the room. Like, because the person who first walks into the room, they're like a thermostat. They're like changing the temperature of the room. The other type of person is like a thermometer where they're measuring the temperature of the room. And the third type of person takes the temperature of the room, feels the temperature, understands the culture that's going on in that room, and then starts changing hearts in that room like a healer. And as this person does this, then the culture of the room changes, not because of some behavior modification that's happening, but because that person is a healer, and that's who Jesus is, and that's who he is to us, and that's how you got to go to him, because if you just make him your teacher, he's going to crush you, and he at best will just modify your behavior, but you won't experience change from the inside out, and so we're going to go to him today specifically as a healer who comforts us, so our verse today is a short one. Um, It's from Matthew 5, chapter 4, or verse 4. Here it is. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, these first verses. So Jesus has come on the scene, and he goes up to the mountain, and he's giving his sermon of all sermons, this epic masterpiece of a sermon. And he's delivering the sermon up on the top of this mountain, and these words, these first words that are spoken when he gets up there are called the Beatitudes. And they have been called by Christian scholars to be the most significant and most profound words that have ever been spoken in the history of the cosmos. That's all. Up from this mountain. And that's why we're looking at it line by line, because there's so much here. There's so much weight here. And here's how these one-liners happen, these profound words Blessed are those, it says, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's today. So let me just unpack this. So we have this word, blessed. And you hear this word, and you're probably hearing it like a wish. Like, uh, and, and this is the right way to hear it. There's two ways to hear this word, blessed. One way is to say, okay, someone is sick, so God bless this person so that they will get better. And that is the way that the word is used, but not right here. The way that this word is used is to mean someone who already has a state of mind that's been changed by God, meaning this, they have a deep inner spiritual happiness that comes from a spiritual health that they have gotten by faith in Christ. It's so important that you don't miss this. They have a spiritual health because they have faith in Christ, it's changed them internally, and now because of that spiritual health, they now have a spiritual happiness. Now, which is, which is crazy, so it's, it's to say, the, the word happy is often used to translate this word blessed, but it doesn't really do the job, neither does joy. It's about an inner spiritual happiness. And what's so weird is it's saying this inner spiritual happiness 
is had by those who are mourning. It's a very strange concept. I mean, it seems to be very contradictory. And what I've found is that a lot of times when the Bible seems to be contradicting itself, there's something hidden in there that you're not seeing. And when you catch it, it's going to make you want to worship God. So, here's how to understand this. This blessed person with this deep inner spiritual health that is making them have this spiritual happiness. This is how you got to think of it. So suffering and pain, because we're talking about mourning, suffering and pain come into your life or this person's life. And the fiery hands of suffering and pain try to reach deep into this person to steal away their happiness and their health. But those fiery hands can't seem to get in because something's stopping it. And this is what it means to be blessed. Even in the midst of mourning, there's something that suffering and pain can't get to. There's a health and there's a happiness that it can't get to. Or you got to think about it like this. So we've been talking about this the last few weeks. To be blessed means like this. So imagine the entire earth is surrounded by this hurricane. And, I mean, it's a giant one. And the whole world is affected by this hurricane. But the person who is blessed, they're still in the storm. However, they're right in the eye of the storm where there's a calmness and there's a peace, even though they are still in the storm. So when, when the Hurricane Dorian was coming through, um, we've been talking about this. A lot of you guys were sending me pictures of what it looks like in the eye of the storm because we've been talking about this. And, and I, the pictures are of this plane that's flying into this eye of the storm. And you could see this beautiful, the sun like beautifully shining. And right below the sun beautifully shining is this wall of chaos, of wind, of clouds, like these dark, ominous clouds just spinning. And, but in, in the eye, there's a calmness, there's a peace, there's a happiness. Now, we got to get real a little bit, because that's the picture. But the person who's in mourning is still in the storm. There's still pain, and there's still suffering. And there's still loss, and there's still tears, but there's still something else that are de- that's deeper and underneath it all. And I know, I know you guys, and I know a lot of your stories, and a lot of you guys have walked through suffering, and a lot of you guys have he- had easy lives. And I'll be honest with you, if you've had an easy life, this sermon is not going to connect with you as much, but it needs to, because here's the deal. Walking through this world is going to bring suffering at some point in your life. There's no way around it. And when it does... You want to hold on to these words right now and store them up. Because when it hits, you're going to want to have something to hold on to. And we're going to talk about that today. So if you're not suffering and you haven't suffered, you've got to hold on to this. But if you have suffered, have suffered, not suffered, but suffered, or you, you are now or you have, you know what I'm talking about. And it really feels like not what I have said so far. When you are really suffering... It feels like those fiery hands of suffering and pain are stealing your happiness. And it feels like you are in the, you're not in the calm eye of the storm, but it feels like you are being beat up and your butt is getting kicked in the storm and you are in the worst part of it. So you cry out to God, like, what are you doing? And you don't feel like anything is happening and you're crying out to him and you're hearing nothing and it's very frustrating for you. And you're wondering what God is doing. Now, my wife and I have felt this as of late the last year and a half. 
So there are people who have suffered far, far more than we have. But over the last year and a half, we've experienced a fair degree of suffering and a lot of mourning and a lot of tears. Our son was diagnosed a year and a half ago with an autoimmune disorder, and it's wreaking havoc on his brain. And the last two and a half weeks especially have been difficult. And we've gotten really good at holding tears back. Like, you, you know when you feel those tears and they're coming, but you're just learning to hold them back? We've gotten pretty good at that. Um, and something has happened where we have longed for the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God more so than we ever have before. Because something happens when you experience pain and suffering is you stop clinging to this world like you were before. And you feel like you, it's like a waste to hold on to this. And you reach for something and hope for something greater. And that's when you really find the beauty of the world that is to come. But it's almost as if you've got to go through that pain and suffering to start reaching. And here's my point. It doesn't feel like we're in the eye of the storm. It feels like we're in the midst of the hurricane. Like for me, I'm feeling that. And so you read this verse, happy are those who mourn. And I got to be honest with you, I don't always, like, I'm there sometimes, but more often I'm not there. I'm not experiencing that deep inner happiness that this verse is talking about. So what's wrong? Like, what's wrong with me? And the answer is that my problem is my faith, and that it's weak, and that it needs to be stronger, and needs to grow because the reality is I'm clinging to something in this world tighter than I am probably to the world that is to come or the world that Jesus is talking about. And so when, here's what happens. When you cling to this other world, it makes you stronger in this world. And when you cling to this world, it makes you very weak in this world because it's draining you of hope, especially when you're suffering, especially when you're in pain. And suffering has a, a way of doing something to your faith. It has a way of either squashing it or strengthening it. Or what I think is more common is really a rediscovery of God. Because, you, you know, before you're suffering, you're walking through life with God and everything's like good. Like, uh, this is great. Like, everything's great. And then suffering hits and it messes with you and God. It messes with your faith. And you start thinking through and you're like, God, I thought I knew who you were and I don't know who you are. And all of a sudden what happens is your faith begins to be deconstructed. But it's a good thing, because you thought you knew God, but you didn't, and you start discovering him in a way that you didn't know him before, and you start to see a beauty of the world that is to come that you weren't holding on to or even looking for. And when that happens, you discover God in a whole new way that wouldn't have happened had you not walked through pain and suffering and loss. And so these verses are making the claim that those who are mourning are actually happier than those who aren't because they're finding something greater than what's in this world. Seeing that God will comfort them. Because here's what happens. You go for, to God for hope, and that hope turns into faith, and then that faith turns into God comforting you. But you have to walk all the way through that. And so these verses are actually making this claim. So, faith plus mourning equals a greater inner happiness. But you've got to walk through it, and you don't feel it in the moment, but it's there. 
That's what the Bible's saying. There's a Bible verse in Ecclesiastes that it says, it's better to be in the house of mourning than in a house full of feasting. Now, why in the world would that be? Well, because if you meet people who have gone through a lot, they have a deep inner happiness that people who have not gone through a lot don't have. There's something there. There's a depth to them that had not been there before. And some of you guys, like, I know, you're, like, you're in the midst of suffering, and you're like, I, I don't really even care to have that. I don't want to have that. Just make the suffering go away. And that's just a reality. Now, here's, here's the thing. When you're suffering, it's very easy to just dismiss everything I said. And it's very easy to dismiss this verse. And what happens is if you, will do, if you do that, you're going to lose the true meaning here. Because you read this verse, blessed are those who are mourning for they will be comforted. So this blessed, this inner happiness for those who are mourning because they're going to be comforted. You read that and you say, well, this must be a bunch of hogwash because it's not true for me right now. And here's what you got to do. You can't dismiss it. You got to say, well, there's obviously something here I don't understand. And so you plunge in to try to understand it. And you go on this journey with God to try to understand what this verse actually really means. The, more, the suffering is trying to get you to stop clinging to this world. So you'll cling to the world that is to come. And when you do that, you're going to find the happiness that is found in that other world that you would have never found had you not been through the suffering and pain. And potentially pain and suffering currently for you or at some point, so, so let's say your faith has brought you to this point. Like here's your level of faith. And then pain and suffering start coming and they go right past your faith. Now look what's happened. You're experiencing more pain and suffering than your faith can actually take on. So you got a few decisions right now, but if you will go to God in the midst of that and allow him to increase your faith, then look what's happening. Through the pain and suffering, your faith is increasing, and now at some point in your life, that suffering and pain will subside and look what's happened. This stays and this comes down. And now later on in life, you might go through some suffering again, but it might only bring you to here. And if it only brings you to here, that suffering pain only comes to here, then you're handling it like a champ, which you would not have done had you not gone all the way up to here before. And, and pain and suffering are great teachers. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to learn from pain and suffering. You can get a whole bunch of worldly wisdom from pain and suffering. However, I would encourage you to do, go beyond that and allow your pain and suffering to give you a hope and allow that hope to stir up faith in you and that faith will drive you to the world that is to come. And then here's what happens. You start getting the wisdom that's from another world and it starts to inhabit you in this world. And that's a whole other thing. It's a whole other level of wisdom that, that can get you through something that you could not have gone through without that hope that led to faith, that led to comfort, that led to the wisdom that you needed to get through what you're going through. And then when that happens, you're going to be made more of the stuff of heaven, more of the stuff of the kingdom of God here in this life right now. One of the saddest things I experience as a pastor is when someone suffers and goes through pain and they lose their hope and faith in God through it. And in their mind, maybe it's confirming there is no God or that they should hate him or should not trust him. But what I've also noticed is that people who have walked through the pain and suffering say some really weird stuff afterwards. And they say stuff like, you know, I never would want to do that again, ever. 
But I'm kind of glad it happened. In fact, I'm really glad it happened because it was through the pain and suffering that I have found God in a way that I had not ever found him before, and I'm changed forever by it. And there's a strength to me that, that I did not know was there. There's a joy that stirred up in me that I didn't think was possible, and there's a happiness now that I didn't think I'd ever be able to find. But it's always on the other side of it. So you, in the midst of it, you don't want it. But at the end, when it's over, it's there. And it's beautiful, and it's glorious. And, and here's the other thing I've noticed. If you're walking through pain and suffering, I could give you all the logical reasons of why you should go to God in the midst of your pain and suffering and why God will do some amazing things in the midst of your pain and suffering, but the logical and intellectual reasons that are rational proofs of why you should go to God never seem to do the trick. Here's why. Because it's not enough. You're getting to the point to, with your pain and suffering that you've got nothing left to do. You don't even care about your intellect or your, what you're doing is rational. You're just reaching for a hope. And when you reach for a hope, you reach out for God, and now you begin to discover him in a way that you would not have discovered him had you not gone through this. And that hope turns to faith, and the faith turns to comfort. And, and you need to be prepared that when you are suffering before you do, or even in the midst of your suffering, you're going to want to say some things about God. And you're going to be fooled by yourself, by the world, by your emotions, and you're going to say things like, God is not to be trusted. I'm too mad to go to him. I can't believe he's doing this to me. How could he do this to our world? And I want you to know, those are lies that are being stirred up inside of you, and it's the same lie that was told when all of this when all suffering and pain came into the world the first time. It was that God is not to be trusted. And so you hear this, and you think God is not to be trusted because of your circumstances. Now look at what happened. When we said that in the beginning, for this great fall, when this great curse came into the world, when we said that, it's what brought pain and suffering into the world. So you say it again and again and again, and what's going to keep happening is the suffering and the pain are going to grow because you've got nothing, nothing left to hold on to that's on the other side of all this. So here's my advice you're suffering now, or if you do in the future, don't wait to go to him until it rationally makes sense. Don't wait to go to him until, your trust, until you trust him fully, because it's never going to happen. Go to him because you're reaching for some hope. And keep going to him for that hope, the hope for comfort. And that hope, as you go and meet with him, will turn into faith, and that faith will turn into something very strong deep inside of you. You will turn into someone who's blessed, someone who, like Jesus, is talking about here. And let your hope guide you to him. Now, here's the alternatives. If this world really is all that there is, then there is no hope. So we live, we suffer, we die, if this is it. Like, we live, we suffer, we die. Now, uh, well, you say, oh, that's grim. Well, let's be honest about it. Like, let's be bold enough to face reality. So my favorite atheist philosopher is Nietzsche. Because what he says, he's the most honest about reality. And what he says is there is no God. And because there's no God, here's what it means. There's no meaning in life. There's no purpose in life. There's no right or wrong. Who are we to say there's a right or wrong if there's no God, if there's no authority? So there's no God. So he says there's, there's no meaning and purpose. But he says, so what you should do is pretend like there is. He said the, the superman, the, the man of all men, are, is, the, is the person who's going to say, you know what? 
I'm going to pretend like there is purpose and meaning. And that's what we do a lot. And, but, but it doesn't work because you can't trick yourself. It didn't work for Nietzsche, actually, because he ended up taking his own life. He couldn't be this great man that he thought was required of all of humanity. It didn't work. His experiment failed. You can't trick yourself. And I'm going to tell you this. When you're suffering and you're in pain, to say that there is no God, therefore life is meaningless, you're in big trouble. Because if you're suffering and you're thinking the suffering is absolutely meaningless, you're, you're done. Like, this is the times where you give up. These are the times where you spiral into a deep, deep depression. But Christianity will promise you that there is a purpose and a meaning behind every bit of suffering you experience. That God will take all of our suffering and somehow use it for good. That's what he does. He's redeeming everything. He even redeems our suffering and makes it some, somehow something good. You've got you to trust that, but that's what faith is about. You might not experience how it's good. You might not experience the meaning right in that moment, but what alternatives are you left with? So in, in the book, The Lord of the Rings, um, there's an amazing ending that isn't in the movie. And, uh, and here's, how, here's how the story plays out. So there's these four little hobbits. Hobbits are little, little, little guys with hairy feet, and uh, they go out to change the world. And, but but here, they didn't go out to change the world, actually. They just made small little steps of courage along the way. And as they're taking these risks and these, these things that they don't really want to do, but they know that, man, somebody's got to do this. It's going to be us. We're going to do it. So they take these steps, and every time they do it, it's leading into suffering. It's leading into mourning. It's leading into pain. It's leading into loss. I mean, they're experiencing pain through it. But they keep on going. And eventually, in the end, they prevail, and they beat this great evil. Now, they go to return back to their homeland, but they find when they get back to their homeland that there's an, another smaller evil that's taken over their homeland. And so, because they have gone through this grand journey, this epic journey of where they have suffered it, and, and experienced pain and mourning and loss because of it, now they have a wisdom about them, they have a grace, they have a love about them, and they have a courage about them. And so they get to their homeland, and they face this evil, and they defeat it. Now listen, listen to this. They would not have had the ability to do that had they not gone and suffered. I'm not saying suffering is key. I'm not saying you run into suffering. I'm saying that there was a purpose behind their suffering. And had they not done that, they would have lost their homeland forever, and all their friends would have eventually been killed. But because they went and faced these challenges... They were able to come back to their home and change their home and live a great life afterwards with people that they loved, and that would not have been able to happen had they not suffered. Now, here's, here's the point. Their suffering and their pain had a purpose behind it, and it helped them change their world around them. God's not going to waste your suffering. And I mean... So we want to be people like what Jesus is talking about. We want to be people who have this inner health even in the midst of our mourning and even somehow, some way that this mourning would grow us. So what are some signs that you're like this? Well, show me someone who weeps over the injustice that they see in this world and you are showing me someone 
who is spiritually healthy and happy because they have tasted what the world is like that is to come by faith in God, and now they long for it to come now. Show me someone who sees natural disasters happen, and in the depths of their soul, they are mourning about what has happened. You are showing me someone who is spiritually happy and spiritually healthy because they know they long for the world that is to come, and they long for it to come and inhabit today. Show me someone who mourns over their own sin. And you have shown me someone who is spiritually happy and healthy because they know who God has called them to really become. And they long to become that person. And they mourn every time they're not that person. Yet at the same time, there's a deep happiness and spiritual health to them because they know that they've been forgiven by God. And all is well. Show me someone who sees other people's sin and they mourn for those people in their sin, but they're so gracious to those people. They're so loving to those people. They're there for those people. Show me that person and you've shown me someone who is spiritually happy happy and spiritually healthy because that person has been forgiven so much. So they have no choice but to see the people around them that are messing their lives up and to weep over what they're doing in their heart and in their soul because they know that they are no different from them. Now here's the key to all this. You want to become this person? You have to cling to the promised future Notice, all of these Beatitudes are really about a future hope. I mean, there's a couple that are about the present, but primarily they're about the future hope. Listen to this line. Blessed, so happy, inner happiness, is for those who mourn. Why? Because they know that one day they will be comforted. So they're clinging to the future comfort that is to come, and it's actually coming into them in the present. I mean, this is, you got to understand, this is how the human soul works. The human soul is reaching into the future promises of God, and those future promises of God are somehow, some way, inhabiting us today and comforting us today, even though they're in the future. Somehow it gives us peace now and a happiness now and a rest that happens now. Many of you are not taking advantage of what your soul can do, it can take you to the heights of this mountain where all these promises of God are coming down on you and you can take them and make them yours and cling to them. And it will change you today. And when it changes you today, you will begin to change the world around you tomorrow and more the next day and more the next day. So let the pain and suffering you're experiencing be like rolling, like roaring thunder from the heavens that are getting your attention to finally look up at God and understand that there is a world that is to come and that God is coming now and he's changing you now and there is hope now and that hope turns into faith and that faith turns into comfort. And if you're going through pain and suffering and loss right now, I, I mean, I get it to some degree. I understand what you're going through. And look, you, like, I'm here with you, and I'm here for you. And there are people here in this church that are here with you and here for you. And that's why it's so important for you to get in groups, because when you're going through life, you're not meant to do it alone. But ultimately, those me and people will not be enough for you. you got to go to Christ. And the people are meant to take you to Christ. But you got to go to him, because he knows what you need way more than I do, way more than people here do, and way more than you even do. How do I know that? Because he entered into the sorrows to comfort you. 
And he's felt what you feel to a greater, exponentially greater degree. And he felt those things so that he could come and comfort you. He went to the cross to experience an eternal pain, suffering, and loss so that you could only experience a temporary suffering that one day will lead you to an eternal rejoicing. He went to the cross to experience an eternal pain, suffering, and loss so that he could bring you spiritual happiness and health right now. He went to the cross to experience an eternal pain, suffering, and loss so that he could give you this world that is to come and so that it could begin to inhabit your life right now. Not in some distant time, but right now it's beginning because of your hope that leads to faith, that leads to comfort. And your proof that this next life is yours is the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, we, were in, we are in a, before the resurrection, we are in a box of hopelessness. If the resurrection is not true, we are in a box of hopelessness. But when Christ dies and rises from the grave, he opens, like breaks open that box so that now the riches of life in heaven become pouring into the box of this world and into your life and into your heart and into your soul and into your mind. And then you begin to live in this whole new way because the resurrection is actually really true. Weeping might last for the night, but joy comes in the morning of the sun's Rise where the light of Christ begins to pierce through the darkness of pain and suffering and bring you to a place where you finally found hope. And the hope turned to faith, and that faith has comforted you no matter what you're going through. Let's pray. God, come and heal us now of the pain and suffering we were walking through. Help us cling to this truth for when we enter into a future pain and suffering that might be before us. And God, give us joy today in the midst of any type of fiery hand of suffering and pain that's digging around inside of us, that's trying to steal you away from us and trying to steal away this happiness from us that you've put there. God, show us that our suffering is not meaningless, but there's a purpose behind it, and we, God, help us cling to that hope. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.